Welcome everyone to the First Name Basis Podcast. Um, this is where we chat with our special guests and our network innovators about what they're actually doing. And we talk about the, today's topic. This is an in, informal conversation where we, uh, we actually be authentic with each other. Um, today I got with me Eric Schwimmer. I hope I'm pronouncing your name, last name right. Um, you got it. Otherwise I've been butchering it, butchering it for years. Um, but I got Eric with me, who is the EVP of technology and CTO of the Bloomberg Industry Group. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Chital, for uh, having me on. Um, I wanted to first start off with our listeners to, uh, to, to get to know you a little better. Um, it's always an interesting story that comes up uh, with, with our guests who come up on the podcast about how they got to where they are. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here. Well, everybody would love to say, hey, it's based on skill and brain power and everything else. But the reality is um, most everything in life is based on luck. Um, right. And so well, you got to you work or you got to work hard to make your luck. Yeah. But, you know, there's an old saying, the harder you work, the luckier you get too, right? Exactly. Um, but I think it's funny. You talk about started, luck and I, because it's Friday afternoon, I forgot to mention, I put the Bellagio fountains behind me here. Yeah, I guess I didn't even realize that <laughs> metaphor, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so, you know, I guess, uh, to answer that question, how did I get where I was? So, um, first bit of luck and, and I'll try not to bore you all to death and take you down a real long road, but back in the, uh, paleontonic age, when I was going to college, um, I was originally going to school to be a meteorologist. Mm -hmm. I got there and, um, at the end of the first year, they canceled the program. Okay. And I'm like, okay, time to figure out plan B. Right. So I started looking through what back then. You, just, just on that, what made you get so interested to be a meteorologist? Because actually, you know, and I'm still to this day, you know, the Weather Channel was one of the best inventions in its time. The Weather Channel app and now even stuff like um, <clears throat> Weather Underground and My Radar and things like that. I'm yeah, still like thrilled. It's, there's a science aspect to it. And then there's this whole piece of the unknown and trying to put it all together that kind of was cool. Right. Um, right. And yeah, you know, that we could spend the whole hour talking about what's going on in meteorological, meteorological circles. Well, I mean, it's, it's awesome to see how like so many AI models actually use weather data. Yeah. 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 So I was going to do that. And I started looking through the college course catalog that tells you how long ago it was. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up here? At least, how am I going to get out of here? Um, and so I saw this thing called what at the time was called management information systems degree. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that looks kind of cool. Let's try that out. So I did that. that. Nobody um, but you. <laughs> right. And so, you know, what it was, was it was somewhat unique in the time. It was sort of a cross between a CS degree and a business degree. So you took programming courses, in languages that we will not talk about right now. Um, Was Cobalt one of them? Uh, yeah, actually, I could get a job right here in the state of New Jersey. Um, <laughs> I hear they need help with their employment system. Um, but yeah, Cobalt was one and Fortran was another. Um, all those nasty languages you don't really want to hear about anymore. Um, it's, it's funny how many of them are still running and operating some of the largest enterprises in the world. Right? I mean, yeah, I hate to admit it, but yes, I know, I know of a lot of places that are using sure. it. So, um, learned all those languages, but also more importantly, and what I've found has really helped me throughout my career is understanding the business aspect of what we're doing, um, and why you're doing it for, why you're doing these things for, 
and being able to read a basic financial statement, which believe me, I spend way too much time doing now, but it's, it serves you well. Um, so basic finance principles. So that's serendipitous moment number one. Um, I left school, joined a startup firm at that time, um, and this will resonate with everybody, I think, which was called MCI. Um, sure. uh, and that was back when it was a small company and uh, was going after the big Goliath AT&T. Did that for a few years, then went and worked for a government contractor as a developer um, and learned a lot there. Um, and I, that was probably my first taste of being a team lead slash manager. But I got pretty frustrated because, quite frankly, the pace of dealing with government uh, um, clients was just not what I was used to or wanted at that time of my life. Then sure. um, um, got an opportunity to go work at the Washington Post um, as a developer. So I uh, went over there, started working on not the fancy stuff at first, but the, the circulation systems, how the sure. paper got to your door. Um, did some development there, worked on that stuff. And then eventually, this wild new technology called uh, local area networks, wide area networks was all coming into being about then. And so I went into a role that had me work with our affiliate companies, which at the time we owned Newsweek, we owned um, half of the International Herald Tribune. Mm -hmm. And what my boss had discovered at the time was that all of these properties were making use of printing facilities in the very same cities at different times. Um, and so we set up a wide area network using time division multiplexing so that we could take the same physical lease lines. Again, it tells you a little bit about where we were, right, right, um, right. which were very expensive at the time and, you know, multiplex them together. So that was kind of cool. We did that, implemented all sorts of, uh, you know, this new brand new wild, uh, software as a service product for our human resources product called PeopleSoft. Amazing. Um, Amazing. yeah. So it's like a, this is almost like going to the computer history museum. I'll speed it up a little bit. <laughs> no, no, um, no. It's actually, it's actually really interesting. <laughs> and then, um, <clears throat> and then around, what was it? 1995. Oh God. Um, we, you know, and Don Graham has a lot of great attributes and one of his greatest attributes, he was the owner of the Washington Post at the mm -hmm. time. Um, and was up until he sold it to Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos. Um, um, was very innovative in looking forward. And he saw what was going on in the digital landscape and created a division separate from the main part of the company to go off and explore digital opportunities. Um, so it wouldn't be encumbered by the mainline business. Is that what um, became WAPO Labs? Yeah, well, Wapple yeah, Labs. well, WAP, that's probably a newer incarnation of it. Sure. Um, it started off as a company called Digital Inc. Um, then later became WashingtonPost.com. What an awesome um, company named Digital Inc. <laughs> yep, yeah. I-N-K. Um, yeah. So they started off with producing CDs and things like that. Um, um, and the failed attempt to, I forgot what was the name of that platform that it was running on. But then we said, oh, that's not going to work out too well. Um, then we went online with um, what was a competitor of AOL. Um, the AT&T online network. Sure. And then we actually really did something that was kind of cool, which was launched on the internet. And there was like two or and this again, this all happened right around the time of the Olympics in, in, in 1996. 96? A bunch of companies Barcelona. launched. Was yeah. No. No, no, Atlanta. No, no, no. Atlanta, Atlanta, baby. Atlanta. Yeah, it was Atlanta. Yeah. So we all launched right around that summer online and the internet. And so I went over um, to join that company. 
um, started off ironically running infrastructure and operations, which when I first started doing that, I knew nothing about it. Right. Um, but learned it was pretty valuable um, and learned how to scale things. Um, we learned that vertical scaling didn't work too well. That we learned that real quick the hard way, sure. um, and then looked at uh, more um, <clears throat> horizontal architectures, and then hosted data centers and all that wild stuff. Anyhow, so we did that, um, and then this I was director of infrastructure and operations, and then at the time the guy who was running the organization as the CTO left, um, and they looked around and said, eh, "You go try that out." <laughs> You'd be for the a guy. While. <laughs> Sure. Um, so, and it was kind of a little closer to what I actually cared about, uh, more passionate about development and that fun stuff. Um, so did that um, up until like 2006. So we, I ran, watched, I was the VP of engineering for WashingtonPost.com um, <clears throat> until 2006. So all sorts of war stories there. I guess the, sure. you know, unfortunately, the one that's the most to me. And that's a, and that's a period too, because that's when it's like, hey, you're giving out all this content for free online. People are more and more people are online, but a majority of your business is still paper-based, right? Yeah, so this this one might get me sued, but uh, <laughs> the reason that the <laughs> internet was free was back then. Completely off the cuff, so I like I Yeah. Like, so, you know, Everybody was trying to actually launch with a subscription model back then, but the challenge was nobody could find, or very few companies were able to build the paywall um, infrastructure needed mm -hmm. to do that and support it at scale. Um, we used a package as well as the New York Times um, that I, so that I don't get sued, I will leave the company's name out of it. Um, and unfortunately, we went and started getting ready to, to launch with it and it didn't work. So, you know, everybody said it, this is that this is how the internet became free um, in some ways. So it, it, it was July, everybody was in a rush to get out there and they just said, screw it, talk content, we'll just launch. Yep. Uh, and with the exception of the Wall Street Journal, who's always been ahead of the game on the subscription model, they launched, they figured out how to get it out there. God bless them. Um, so anyhow, that's how that all happened. Um, so the other, the other memorable event is unfortunately a very tragic uh, event and that would have been 9-11. <clears throat> and I can recall, um, so the story starts in a very sad way. Um, probably four or five months ahead of the, the event, a um, person by the name of Danny Lewin um, came into my office. Danny Lewin was one of the founders of Akamai okay. um, and turned out to have been wow. on one of those planes that was uh, taken over by the terrorists. Um, so he came into my office, him and Tom Layton, and pitched uh, this new product called Akamai, content caching, um, to offload and CDN networks. And they're like, you know, that sounds like a great idea. We're going to sign up. And we weren't the first, but we were amongst like maybe their first 10 customers. Sure. Uh, unfortunately. The pioneer workload for them. Yeah. And unfortunately, where we found out that it really worked um, was event that ultimately led to Danny's demise um, was that it meant. And um, you know, that was just a crazy day. Uh, but you know, those were the sort of the highlights, but the, we were one of the few sites that stayed up because of the technology that Danny and uh, Tom Layton developed, Akamai. Um, and so- And now it's so widely used. Now it's used everywhere. It's, it's just- Yeah, everybody uses CDNs standard, are a common yeah. thing. It's the standard, yeah. yeah. And, Trip down memory lane. Um, so anyhow, I did that till 2006. Decided ah, it's time to do something else. Um, 
went out and formed my own company and did some digital quote consulting. What that meant was eh, I try to figure out what the next thing is. Okay. And yeah, I did You're some. You're knocking me. I do this for a living. <laughs> well, for me, it was me only. I'm not as fair enough. I was. Enough. I was never as quite. Uh, what's the right way to say it? Smart or industrious enough to, to build it into a real company. Um, so yeah, I went out and did that um, and took me to some organizations overseas um, in Europe. That was kind of good, but um, it also took me to an organization um, in Atlanta uh, that was a search engine optimization, search engine uh, marketing organization that later got acquired by Dentsu. And what that made me really realize was just the immense scale of the internet. And what that, we had two different things that we worked on there. And it, it, it was AI before the word AI really got coined. Yeah. And so um, it was being able to do predictive algorithms of sorts on where you should bid based on keywords. And by the way, the brains behind this was a ex uh, hedge fund trader who developed the algo. Um, and it was, you know, in some cases to get the real, you know, to get the, the better bang for the buck, you're better off bidding for spot three or four on the page than spot sure. one. And then the other piece, it had just tremendous scale because we had to capture all the clicks to make sure we understood the referrals. Um, and that was one of the biggest load challenges that I've ever dealt with, um, is just being able to handle that immense amount mm -hmm. of load. Um, and <laughs> we made the mistake of trying to do that um, in a SQL database. Uh, and also taught me the value of decoupling pieces of architecture. I mean, I really right. knew it from my time at post.com, right. but we had to get on an accelerated program because everything was a monolith um, system. And when you, you don't want your capture system to overwhelm your processing system and all that other fun stuff, you know, basic shit. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, Oh, whoops, I probably shouldn't use that word on that. No, it's all effing good. We, <laughs> if you notice, if you, if you go to our podcast, you'll see a lot of them have the explicit E beside them. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. um, You're fitting right in. You're fitting right in, Eric. Don't worry. Um, good friend of mine um, took over CTO over to AOL and convinced okay. me to come in and help them transform from what was a client company to a you know, client-based company, the AOL client, you got mail, to uh, an online company. And that was pretty incredible in a lot of ways. Um, it was probably my first real exposure to the true agile methodologies. Um, okay. as we were really trying to teach people to, and to, to think more iteratively as opposed to Big Bang. It was also a transformation of old monolith systems into more scalable open source web technologies sure. um you know we <laughs> we were under a lot of cost pressure then so we, and, and stuff that sounds common now well to most of us that sounds common now maybe not to many other order, large organizations but back then this is a whole new paradigm of thinking yeah think of an organization as big as aol was back then and we had thousands of servers and the cto of the organization looked at the cost of this and said that we just can't scale like this for you continuing to buy red hat or whatever mm -hmm. um so let's go to centos and we did it um and that was sure. not my team but it was others but th th those, those were just incredible times um but we also had a bunch of engineers around the world eventually i ended up being uh, cto of the aol media group um it's like 230 engineers all around the world working on sure. different products 100 i think we had 115 sites 
um, with just immense scale. And we were able to do it using open source technologies, um, essentially just the, the true LAMP stack, you know, Linux-based stuff, um, Apache, uh, and you know, Java or JavaScript uh, pages. So sure. real simple stack, it worked at scale. Um, and you know, Tim, in that period of time, one set of management came in, one set of management went out, Tim Armstrong came in, started revamping the company, did totally the right thing, um, refocusing the company on a few smaller bets. Uh, and But my team really took a hit in all that. And right about that same time, um, I got an offer to become part of a startup that probably is the best possible startup you could ever do because it's all well-funded. Bloomberg was starting up a company called Bloomberg Government okay. um, in the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, they needed somebody to come in and run it. Um, and take the team that was an outsourced team that was working up in uh, New York and bring it down to DC and build up an engineering staff. So did well, that. So what was, what was the premise of Bloomberg government? Right? What did, so Bloomberg? it still exists today. Um, in fact, is the small world department. I'll, I'll come back to that. I actually, mm -hmm. yeah, it, the world comes back around, but um, so Bloomberg government, the whole notion around it was to provide access to government information um, in a meaningful way. So, Government information is pretty much free, but it's hard to make use of because it's all different formats. It's not um, in any way normalized. Um, and it's just the volume of it is incredible. Right. So we set up a business where what we did is utilize Bloomberg technologies, which are pretty good at sucking in data, mm -hmm. normalizing it, and then spitting it back out. Um, but instead of using the traditional quote, terminal interface um, that, that we're used to using. We used a web-based product instead. Okay. Uh, so it was built real and quick. And that's a big change for Bloomberg as well, because like the terminal is the core of everything that happens. Still is. It's, um, it's <clears throat> uh, but yes, it was. It was, an, it was an effort to really break off into ancillary businesses. Um, and this was back in 2010. Um, so I came in, did that, built a team. Um, we took what was a monolith application, um, again, seems like a recurring theme, mm -hmm. um, and broke it up into a service-based architecture um, with what we called services, now called microservices, depending on how you want to talk right. about it, right. um, and scaled that thing out and built a team of uh, about 40-some uh, <clears throat> engineers up um, to run that. And, and then, this story does come to an end at some point. Um, we're no, getting it's there. good. It's totally good. It's good. Uh, and then um, we're going to talk about transformation, and you're talking. You're you're giving us a whole transformation journey right now, which is great. yeah. And then there's then the then um, the person who uh, was running the what we call the media division in Bloomberg, Bloomberg.com. Um, he was a co-founder of Splunk, and uh, he had a very unique problem to deal with, um, and that was counting all his money. Uh, so he left. <laughs> it's a great problem. <laughs> he was a great guy, by the way. Totally deserved everything there. But uh, you know, we all should have that problem. But he yeah. left, and so they looked around and saw some who has organizational experience with uh, running media companies, and came to me. And I realized how much I actually kind of missed it at the time. So I went back up uh, and ran that team for six years, Bloomberg.com, um, and uh, you know, we rebuilt that stack from beginning to end, launched a video at scale, all sorts of crazy stuff, and put a subscription uh, business into play in five months. 
Amazing. Um, that quick. See, I got to admire Bloomberg and like being able to make transitions and do things that fast. Yeah, At the size of like, the that they are. Yep. And with crazy deadlines and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, we launched a subscription business in that, that amount of time. We also, during that time, built out an AI. There was an AI practice already going on there. Um, and, but we really doubled down on it when others were not or using outside services and that was to their detriment. And it, it, it provides a competitive advantage to this day because we invested in that stuff. And that's the great thing about Bloomberg is that they're willing to invest even in down markets like what's going on right now because they know at some point it won't be and that gives you a clear advantage. They're Anyhow. Be, yeah, they're going to be poised perfectly for the future. They're going to be, they're going to have the competitive advantage because they did make the investments now. Yep, and so God yeah. bless Mike. Um, that's that's an that's ethos from he brought to the company from the very beginning, I guess at this point, 40-some years ago um, when he started it. So um, the end of this story uh, is that uh, about a year and a half ago, um, I was approached to take over a division that, uh, of the company that we acquired in 2010. Um, it's a company that we bought that was called the Bureau of National Affairs, which sounds like a government entity, but it's not. It's a niche publishing um, organization that creates content centered around tax, legal, and government. And ironically, part of that government piece was that original piece that that's I started. You were doing before. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so that's how the story comes back around. So anyhow, that's what I'm doing right now. Really cool, really cool. Um, so yeah, I just spent a half hour just talking about that. No, I think you. And and you know what? I wanted to pry. We only have an hour, but I wanted to pry into much more. So let me see if I can weave it into some of the questions I got for you. There you go. Uh, the, the the main goal, the main goal of today's conversation with you, Eric, is you know when I when I asked you and you graciously accepted to do this um, with me was we see a big challenge with enterprises still trying trying to become agile, and you know you hear bullshit terms like wagile out there and and other and other forms and one of the big things that most companies start to realize is not just up to the technology division or the digital division to become agile and so in your journey it doesn't even have to be bloomberg but as you started going from a more waterfall based approach what are some of the tactical things that you did that would became very effective into moving organizations into an agile approach so I think the first thing that everybody needs to realize, you read about textbook agile and then there's real. Um, right. And the real is don't expect to get there day one. Um, there's just so many traditional habits and maybe it's the industry that I've been in a lot, mostly the publishing industry that you gotta break through a lot of old habits. Best way old to put school it. thinking. I mean, people, just, you know, it worked, ready. right? It was a world, think about the world that you came from, non-digital. Mm -hmm. We were authoritative. We told you, we gave you the daily newspaper or we gave you whatever, right? Right. You consumed it and you were happy. Right. But the notion of consumer choice and consumer preference and competition, quite frankly, because you also were pretty much a monopoly. Yeah, um, I mean, if you were a subscriber of one paper, then that's all you got. There was no yeah, real choice for you to see other. Because the startup, the barriers to entry were high. Printing yeah. presses are not cheap. Absolutely. Um, I knew the guy who did the project for the printing presses of the Washington Post. That was not cheap. And he took a big risk at the time. Um, unfortunately, he just recently passed away. But, uh, you know, he, 
these were not small things. Um, you think about the company I'm working with now, Bloomberg, um, we're called Bloomberg Industry Group these days. They created publishing um, and information, really what it is is information, but they created products centered around tax and legal. And the only way you do that is putting people on the ground and getting into the agencies as well as Capitol Hill so that you can report on the things that others can't. It's capital intensive and right. human intensive. Um, and so the barriers to entry were really high. Um, and so where am I going with all this? So the barriers, you know, what, what are some of the things you're trading, especially when you come into organizations used to doing things in a certain way, there's an education process that has to occur. But the other thing, and you and I spoke about this uh, many times in the past, but you know, as recently as a few days ago, the biggest challenge is there's got to be a will. If you are in an organization where you're in the engineering function and you don't have some support at the executive level, it's going to be tough. Right. Uh, I've been fortunate. Um, for one, I have the support of the CEO of our organization who's on board, if not an evangelist, for doing things in a more agile and iterative way. Um, when you think about the Bloomberg culture and the Bloomberg itself, it is the epitome of agile before there was such a thing. Of course. Um, a lot of the things they did. Culture, and we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Bloomberg culture because, um, you know, in the times that I've worked with Bloomberg, it's going on eight years. Um, but like even eight years ago, when you walk into Bloomberg's office, I mean, and we'll talk about some of the way you guys have set up your office, but even when you walk into Bloomberg's office, you're like, this is not what normal places work like. Sure, it looks like a workplace I would work at because it looks very startup-y, but it's, it's very transparent and open. But we'll get to that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, so it's all about that. Um, and then the other thing that you got to get, there, there's a bunch of different cultures. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given um, was, you know, agile without lean will never work. If you're trying to do agile and you don't have a lean mindset, it's not going to work. You, you know, you can have standups. There's, you know, and the other thing I guess it's called um, doing agile as opposed to being agile, right? That's the right. phrase you hear a lot. I think those are some of the, the key things you got to look at. Um, and also realize it's a slog. Um, and it brings to mind, you're going to have some difficult conversations and you just got to remember to try to not make it personal because it isn't. Um, don't take it too personally. Um, I can remember uh, as recently as a few months ago, I had one executive blowing up at me because I was questioning the way that they were doing their work that has been very successful. To sure. that person's credit, she's absolutely right. They have been. But just because it has been in the past doesn't mean it will be in the future. And we needed to change. The famous last so words, we always, we've always done it this way. Yeah. And so it was an emotional outburst that just needed to get out. And now she's actually one of the biggest proponents of the change that's going on in the organization. So it's kind of funny how those things go around. One of the tactical things you were talking about is, is education. <clears throat> and if you're not getting by, and then what do you, how do you suggest you even go about education and, and, and having a healthy debate um, with, with, well, first is you with other be, members of your team or superiors that you need to, you need to get by them from? So, you know, what they say that thing about old, um, too bad, um, all the wisdom of being old is, is placed in all those people who are old. I wish I could knew some of this stuff about 20 years ago. Right. Um, but the reality is, look, the biggest piece of advice is if you see something, say something, right? Confront situations, but do it respectfully. And sure. also be empathetic to the other person's point of view. Um, understand where they're coming from. 
and try, but you got to educate. Um, and in the case of, <clears throat> of these, you know, then there are certain situations in this particular one, the one, what we told them is, look, let's do, I know what we're talking about and I know uh, uh, talking about it's foreign to you, meaning the concept and even the idea, but let's go out, let's listen to our users, not too much, but to some extent, and let's come up with a hypothesis, put down what we think the metrics are going to be for success. Cause that's the other thing. Um, yeah, of course. You want to talk about agile transformation? People get lazy. Quite frankly, even I do. Oh, that's <laughs> a big surprise. Um, but uh, you got to be not intellectually lazy. If you have an idea. Yeah, you could, if you're smart and lazy, who cares? You're working smart. <laughs> you've got to be able to willing to put your, to commit. And to commit means put your idea down on paper and talk about what means success and more importantly, what doesn't. Right. Um, because nobody ever likes to admit they failed. And you got to get comfortable with failure. And failure is actually, it's a good again, thing. I'm gonna, yeah, I'll take you down another road. Someone, there's a lot of great classes I've taken on agile and product development. There's great books I can tell you about. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, Margie Kagan book's probably the best one I've ever read. Um, okay. But there's all sorts of st stuff, how to, how to build great products. Um, but the thing that was transformational for me was a class I took as part of an executive um, immersion product uh, process, and it was around sales. Um, it was teaching the Sandler method, um, and there's many methods out there. Mm -hmm. But basically, what they teach you is get comfortable with hearing no, because um, no is great. The worst possible place you can be is maybe. Right. Yeah, and you, so, trans it, it has it sales is binary. You want a zero or one. You want a yes or a no. Yeah. Don't, you know, and so that was really transformational and it also helped, you know, how does that relate to Agile? Let me tell you how it relates to Agile. Um, Agile and Lean is about having hypothesis, putting down metrics of success and failure and doing it because knowing you're not going to be right um, and getting comfortable with failure. And that's the hardest thing. You're going to fail and actually failing is good because right. you know it's the wrong path. And then you can quickly switch yes. or iterate to a better path. And that's, that's the real hard one to teach. We're taught as engineers not to F, F up, right? At least. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you really have to set a new mindset that, yeah, it's okay to fail. Just don't get too good at it. But it, it's okay to fail. Just do it quick and then move on. I'm so glad you said that. One of our biggest mantras um, at Tribal Scale that we put everywhere, actually I got stickers of it, now here's actually my laptop. I got a sticker right here of it and it says fail fast. There you go. And it's okay to fail and it's okay not to ask permission sometimes, obviously within certain boundaries, but go try something and go F up. And as part of our daily standup, we have a section called fail fast. Who F'd up yesterday and how did you F up and teach everybody right then and there so we don't make the same, same mistake. Yep. And you know, the challenge is leaders, is to create that culture. Right. And there's a lot of things that are what we call anti-patterns, right? Because <laughs> um, at the end of the day, everybody wants to win, and winning right. means not losing, but sometimes losing yeah, and then, will get you to winning. Exactly. Well, the only way you become a winner is by learning from your losses, right? And yeah. If you're, You'll the lose leader, more. If, yeah, if you're the leader who's going to just go nuts every time somebody Fs up, then, then, then yeah, you, your team's, your team's going to hide the mistakes that they're making. 
They're still happening. <laughs> you know, look, I can give you all sorts of metaphors about it, you know, but you learn more in things that don't go right than you do about things that do. Um, right. And that's just a mindset change. So, you know, just trying to think, you know, I came into this organization. It, it was, think about every, uh, um, every stereotype you've ever thought about um, of a company that the way to approach development, um, waterfall, old fashioned, um, two years ago. And the first thing, you know, I gave that speech pretty much, we're going to get lean, we're going to get learn how to fail. And I could see the life, I still picture this when I addressed the team of about uh, 100 and so folks, 200 folks or so. Um, I still see those faces lighting up when I said that, okay, we're going to learn to fail. And we're going to be okay with that. Just we're all looking at each other like, is he serious right now? <laughs> and then the other thing is, um, and this is a metaphor for another thing, but I said, other thing we're going to do is we're going to stop trying to run infrastructure here. We're going to try to make use of cloud services wherever we can. Right. Um, and it's not because, hey, I'm, I want to make somebody in the cloud provider rich. It's because we got to focus on what's the best use of our resources. And the mm -hmm. best source of best way to use our resource is going to be applying as much as we can to product development that actually reach end users. And yeah, it doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of all infrastructure people because that's crazy too. Yeah. But we're also going to transform how we do things and we're going to try to do as much as we can through code. And so just, and, just on that, you faced a challenge there because I'm sure there was somebody who's titled head of infrastructure who was just like... Yeah, that worked out real well. Shut the F up. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? Um, so you had a challenge within your own organization when you, when you brought that, that, that thought. And we see this all the time. I mean, every you know majority of the Fortune 500 organizations we work with, it's the exact same thing. There is somebody there who's going to throw throw a big fit because you're you're encroaching on, let's say, some sort of turf or some or, or what they feel is their domain, and they have a hard opinion as to how it should be done. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and kid you and tell you no, there weren't any issues. But I tell you, the team that I was really worried about the most mm -hmm. um, was a layer down from them. Um, okay. The people who were in charge of the whole VM VMware infrastructure and uh, in in, um, automation that they did in Puppet and all that stuff, because they were really bought into that stuff. And that, you know, quite frankly, in that model, they were very sophisticated, you know. And they ended up being my biggest allies. Um, they saw the value of what we were going to do and the chance to learn new things. So they were true engineers. True engineers want to learn new shit. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, and continue to, to to prove that they're good engineers no matter the platform. Right. Um, so these guys just hook, line, and sinker embraced it, created a platform, and have created a, an infrastructure that has really started to allow our developers to to, to accelerate the way that they do things. Um, and the other thing, from a developer standpoint, you need to care about the whole ecosystem now. You're not just here. You're not a you're not a short order cook. Right. Um, if you want that, go somewhere else. Right. You right. know. As a developer, you're now an engineer. An it's engineer means, and it matters. So now it matters end to end for you, right? Like it, it yep. Everything you have responsibility. You got responsibility. Yep. Yeah. You don't throw things over to a QA team. You own it. Um, <clears throat> the how the infrastructure works, you own it. When a problem comes in, you're first person who gets it, and right. you triage it and send it to the right group. And then you also own the business aspect of what you're developing and understanding why you're doing it, and you also responsibility to the team to be a participant in how that's being and what's being done 
and have an opinion right. and understand what the customer need is. And that's, that's where we're trying to go. And we're making it. It's, it's, I see green shoots everywhere. That's um, awesome. And that's, that's the fun. This is the fun part. Yeah. Well, I mean, the hard part is starting. And once you, you know, yep. we, we, we've had, we've had a couple episodes and everyone says, Hey, don't go and try to boil the ocean. And you kind of said that in the beginning also. Go start doing small things or small tasks and start this culture of winning. And when everybody then wants to be on the winning team, it'll start going towards that end goal, especially when it's customer centric, especially when you got KPIs that matter to everybody there. Um, so if you buy in on the right endpoint, then how you get there starts becoming these little baby steps you could take. So you just also touched on another important point, which we're struggling with quite honestly right now, KPIs, um, sure. measurement. So first there's the whole, as I talked about earlier, getting people to realize you actually have to do it. Then the next thing is, you know, it's kind of the dog catching the car. Can you do it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what we're finding is, wow, we're not as well instrumented as we should be. And that's another thing that we're starting to teach our engineers is that you have a responsibility and the product people as well to make sure that we instrument things. It's not somebody else's responsibility. And sure. as an engineer, you need to be intellectually curious and think about what is it that I'm going to build and how am I going to measure, make sure I have the proper tagging in place right. uh, to make sure that happens, that whatever tagging software Whatever software. Software. It could be more than that. It could be test coverage within your, within your code. Yep. It could be a whole bunch of things. But it's all those fun things. Um, these are the next set of problems. But yes, right. you know, it's, it's teaching that whole mindset um, across the board. So there's many aspects to this change. And you know, at some level, it never really ends. Um, but it's, it's gratifying as you see pieces of it turn up. So for instance, we had this. We have this one business um, that produces uh, fixed asset software that people use as a software as a service. Sure. Um, and a year ago, actually not even a year ago, I hate to admit it. Um, six months ago, they couldn't deploy more than once a month, and even that was a. It was like the uh, daily miracle um, okay. when it did occur. It, it required a weekend of rolling out, testing, all manual. Just, just, uh, just a question, question there. How often do you guys deploy? Depends on which part of my business. Um, okay. I, I can tell you what's, you what's my, the quickest? So the quickest is a um, matter of minutes. Okay. Um, but the goal is I want anybody to be able to deploy as often as they want. As often as they can. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and there's, you know, there's the obvious reason why, right? Mm -hmm. Smaller changes, more often less change that more reliable software. It's, account, it's, it's hard to get people mm -hmm. used to that concept, but it actually, it I've works. seen it now many times. It works. It works. You get a higher quality. But um, you know, we were performing that once a month, um, and that was crazy. So it took us eight months to automate it to a place where we felt and get the proper test coverage. There's many elements. There's automation. There's test coverage. Um, now. What used to take an entire weekend now takes, and we're not done yet. Um, now takes less than an hour to do. Excellent, excellent. And so, you know, those are the great things you can look back on. You're making a difference. And now, we deploy multiple times a month. Right. Um, and the the, the right. gating factor isn't technology. It's quite frankly the product team and the customers getting them used to it. Right. 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 right.
I'm going to switch it up a bit. I'm going to switch it up a bit. Um, I do this. I've been starting to do this in the last couple of episodes, but I want people to get to know you. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that just come off the top of my head. Um, and I want you, uh, I just quick answers. All right. Um, so here we go. You ready? Yep. What would you do if you won the lottery? Hmm. You know, the, the natural reaction is nothing, but I don't think that could ever be the case. Um, I won the lottery. You know, there's some ideas around philanthropy I actually would love to try to apply technology to. And the beauty, I'm, I'm almost sounding like a poster boy here, but <laughs> in the company we work in, philanthropic efforts, that word I'm trying to say, um, is really valued. But um, there's a couple of tech, there's a lot of places where technology is not being utilized to where it, it should. I think mm-hmm. philanthropic efforts is one of them. You know, healthcare is another obvious one, although, yeah. you know, we're making inroads there. I'd probably do that. Um, that's probably where I would focus okay. on something that, that can make a meaningful difference because, you know, when it's all said and done, this stuff's all great, but nobody's going to care a hundred years from now about this stuff that I did. Now, I'd love to make some sort of difference in the world, positive uh, as opposed to negative. Well, what's your favorite hobby? Hmm. So favorite hobbies are, I like to, the physical fitness is a big thing for me because not because I want to look like Atlas or uh, live forever, but it's a great way of clearing my mind. Okay. As I get older, I'm going to have to evolve that. So uh, hobbies are like biking. What are you doing doing in physical physical fitness? So these days, uh, biking um, is a big thing. Um, Hiking. Um, okay. kind of found in, especially with this COVID, COVID thing, yeah. uh, um, I'm fortunate to live near some pretty decent trails. Um, I've discovered a lot of stuff near my house that I didn't know existed. So, um, that's kind of fun. Uh, other things I like, I'm, I like to play. I used to work on cars when I was younger, back when right. you could, I've kind of rediscovered that too. Um, okay. sometimes to knowing you, you're probably going to go play with it and it becomes autonomous all of a sudden, but sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not that smart. Um, and then another passion I have is music, and I'm trying to learn how to play bass. So All right. Those are my hobbies. And I want to give a big shout out to your favorite local spot. What is the first spot you want to go to dinner with your family and friends as soon as uh, as soon as this lockdown ends? Hmm. So I guess probably Liberty Tavern. Okay, where is that? Which is, that's located in Arlington in the Clarendon section. Uh, it's a pretty nice place right in the middle of uh, the bustling uh, area there. So it's kind of cool. And it's got really good food. Love it. Love it. All right, Eric, let's chat a little bit about We touched on this earlier, but let's chat a little bit about how Bloomberg set up its offices. Um, you know, it, it, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to visit your New York office, your London office. Both got a very similar type buzz, energy, feel. Talk a little about some of the things that the thought process that went into setting up an office that way, um, and and some of the theories behind how why it was set up that way was actually because of the digital transformation that you were going through and the metrics that your that Bloomberg is really keen on making sure are hit. I think a lot of this, um, and Mike 
says it far more eloquently than I ever will, but it comes from his core principles when he set the company up. Um, it's about transparency and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the notion was that, number one, there are no offices. Um, and when he went off to be mayor, some offices kind of snuck in. And when he came back, he was like, he came through like a sledgehammer, got rid of all of them. And that okay. includes him. Yeah. Um, well, he has this big so, glass thing in the middle where, where he just sits. And, like it's on the main floor, right? Or that's like so, his order. Well, he was, when he came back, he's over um, on the east side of the building um, in, on the, um, in the Lexington Avenue side. But yeah, he's pretty much out in the open. Um, yeah. Now, let's just say, you know, you, and that allows for quick collaboration. You can lean over, talk to folks, and, uh, and, and gather anybody he needs up there. Um, I've been called up there once or twice in my time okay. when I was in the New York office. Um, I'll quickly explain something. Um, and so it's just quick, quick conversations, quickly get things done. That's the notion behind it. Now, you know, look, there are some things that are challenging too, and that to make that culture effective, most people need to be there, right? You know, and that sort of prevents remote work, and that's kind of an anti-pattern of some other sorts. Um, but uh, you know, the, the open area is when you first come into all of our offices, all of our larger offices, um, you come into an open area where the pantry is, where there's there's food, drink, and everything else. And the notion there is they want you to mix with people and have spontaneous conversations. It's the collisions, right? It's the, it's the hey, yep. I just bumped into so-and-so from this other department, and now I understand what they do. Yep. Well, and not even that. It's like, hey, you know, I've been meaning to get you, and I just bumped into you. Yep. Um, so let's have this conversation now. And it's a very serendipitous atmosphere. Um, so it happens all the time. Um, and then the other is, even within the building itself, the elevators don't stop at all floors. Um, and that's on purpose. Well, one is because we got had so many people to move in and out because of the density, but two, they want you to mingle with people. Um, so there's certain floors you, you can get off on. And by definition, you're going to have to go through one or two floors to get down to where you are or up, unless you happen to be lucky and be on that floor. So, you know, all those things are designed to promote mixing our, our work layouts. Um, we work in an open space may not work out so well right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's actually one of the challenges as we think about how we're going to return um, is, and we're all side by side for the most part. There's different configurations we've been playing with, but for the most part, we're all side by side about mm, about four feet yeah, apart. About five feet apart, yeah. Yeah. Um, and very fancy, but what they're emulating is like almost, it's very expensive sawhorse tables um, in a sense. <laughs> but they're they're very nice looking white desks um and they have file drawers and all that but you don't have too much stuff um yep. and yeah that's you need to have a conference with somebody you go in a conference room and you have to book those things and then there's an, it's kind of interesting about transparency about that there are no there are very few there's very few reserved rooms in the in the whole office right. um and usually they're for hr or things like that right. um so everybody has a right to go to every room. And the other thing is the way that it works there is if you book a room um, and you're not there within 10 minutes, gone. Gone, free for all. <laughs> and, and whoever gets it, gets there first, gets it. Yeah. So yeah. 
So those are you know, the, the, the cool. One of the coolest things I noticed um, when I was there is I saw this ticker up there, and I was uh, it was actually I was walking with Okay Ocaro, and I was with Okay, and I was like, "Hey, what is that ticker?" And he goes, "That shows you how many terminals we have installed right now, and are we up or down for the day?" So if we're down for the day, we all know, hey, something's going wrong. We all got to work to get make sure those terminal installs go up. I thought that was super cool that so, it was just so transparent that, from everybody. Yeah, that's part of the whole transparency. There's a function on the terminal you can run to see where they are at any given time on the, the sales process. Um, you know, and we even had more, unfortunately, that uh, London whale incident made us have to scale that back a little bit. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... You, you can get a whole bunch of information. Um, our calendars are open to each other. Um, right. You can make certain events private, um, but the notion is that you can see where, who's doing what. Right. It makes um, it a whole lot easier. And you, you don't appreciate some of that stuff until you're not dealing with that. Sure. And um, so moving, moving, moving forward, how is the demand for Bloomberg? Is it positioned as a lot of these awesome software companies that we're seeing where demand is actually going up? What is, what so, is yeah, I think we're more valuable to our customers than ever um, in the core products. And um, we're seeing that. And, um, you know, hopefully this doesn't last too much longer. Um, but, you know, we're in a pretty good place for right now. Um, you know, there's certain segments of our business that are suffering just like the general economy scale at, at large is. Um, but we're fortunate that we think about things in the long term, never the short term. Right. As I said earlier, you know, look, we look at these as opportunities um, for to hire good people, because quite frankly, a lot of good people are getting displaced. Um, and we have job openings, by the way. So please go to please please apply. There's a record. Apply. We're always looking for good engineers. Yeah. Um, at all our locations, so we tend to want we all, we we like to invest in these types of times. Perfect. Perfect. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Um, once again, this first name basis, basis podcast is available on, let me get this right, Apple, Spotify, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, name the place, that's where it is. But thanks, Eric, again for joining us today. I appreciate you. your time. Um, lots of insights and please do come back. We'll, we'll do it after this pandemic. <laughs> All right, thanks.